Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. I've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast today. Somebody I'm, I'm really excited to talk to, a high-energy guy who I believe is a real student of the game and someone that I'm excited to get into a podcast with. This is Tim Miller, who's joining us today. He's the head coach at Davis and Elkins College, a Division II school in Elkins, West Virginia. I'll give you a background on Coach Miller before we jump into questions with him so you know a little bit about where he's come from and things that he's done. He spent the springs of 2007 and 8, and then again springs of 2011 through 2014 as a high school coach in the in the Pittsburgh area. <clears throat> His 2013 team that he was a part of set the state record by winning their first 25 games of the season. Pretty incredible. 2015 and 16 were his first seasons as. Uh, a college coach. He spent two seasons as the pitching coach at Pitt Greensburg, a Division three school in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. In his two seasons there, the team went 46-38. and 38. Uh, The team also set 15 team records and 32 individual records in his two seasons. In 2017 and 18, he was the pitching coach at re- and recruiting coordinator at Frostburg State, a Division three school in Frostburg, Maryland. His 2018 team there uh, finished 23 and 14 overall. That same season, the pitching staff led all of NCAA Division three with 11.0 strikeouts per nine uh, as a pitching staff. In 2019 and 2020, he was an assistant coach and the hitting coach at Franklin College, a Division three school uh, in Franklin, Indi- Franklin, Indiana, just south of Indianapolis. The 2019 team there made the deepest postseason run in program history. They won the conference championship, made it to the regional final. Uh, they finished 31 and 15 overall that season. He was then hired at Davis and Elkins as the head coach on September 1st, officially September 1st of 2020. Uh, coach Miller also has experience working with summer collegiate teams as well as high school summer travel organizations. A guy that's uh, been to several different levels, as you can see, has a lot of experience and a lot of experience winning, which I always appreciate talking with guys that have that sort of. Uh, that sort of background. So, Coach Miller, sincerely appreciate you spending the time on the podcast with us today. Jeff, thank you so much for having me, and I uh, might have to hire you as my PR guy here going <laughs> forward after a nice intro, so thank you very much. For Next that. job you apply for, man, you give me a call. I'll be on the phone. I, I will. I, I don't know if I can afford you, but I, I'll do whatever I can to make it make it happen. <laughs> Probably more affordable than you think. Um, so I, I like to uh, typically start with something from the podcast that stands out. And, uh, you know, for you, there are several areas, but I want to ask about uh, maybe maybe an, an odd thing, but you spent uh, two seasons as a high school coach and then took several seasons off where you were not coaching and then jumped back into high school baseball, then jumped into college baseball. So I want to kind of ask about the couple seasons where you weren't coaching and maybe sort of what happened to you in that period of time or, or just what it was like for you to then – decide that you wanted to jump back in and a couple years later you're you're a college coach where clearly this is something that you decided it was something you wanted to do uh you wanted to make a career out of it so i'm kind of just uh interested to see what happened in those couple years where you were not coaching okay fair enough um yeah so my my first my first coaching job ever was at canna mcdonough high school uh you know not too far from pittsburgh uh pennsylvania and um when i first started coaching i I guess more than anything, I, I never envisioned myself going into coaching. Uh, my, my high school coach, Steve Busey, uh, called me when he took the Cannon McMillan job in the uh, late summer of 2006, and he said, hey, do you want to coach? <laughs> and I said, yeah, absolutely, sounds great. You know, just to reunite with him, who I played for uh, from 2000 to 2002 at South Park High School. And, um, you know, so in, in my mind, there was, you know, as a player, we had had some success, but we, we, we were never able to get 
over that hump at that level and, and win a championship, lost in a district championship game, uh, lost in the state quarterfinals. Um, so it was more about the things that we that, that we didn't accomplish as a player. And I thought, you know, hey, maybe as a coach we get, get a chance to uh, to compete for championships. That's something that has always been, um, you know, so on my mind. It's something that I wanted to do. And uh, so I ended up at Canamac, a tremendous group of players. Um there and in our in our second year, which was which was uh, spring of two thousand eight, we uh, we won a state championship in the largest classification in Pennsylvania. So um, you know, for me at that time, it was uh, maybe too too many good things happened too fast. And you think about all the time and effort, and I know you've done some high school coaching yourself. You think of the time and the effort that you put into it. And um, for me, I, 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 there was a little bit of an emptiness. Like, uh, okay, well accomplished the, the biggest goal that I had in mind and um, didn't really have that that same thirst at the time, you know, to try to, to want to get back into baseball. Life was taking me in different directions. Um, you know, I was thinking, hey, is it time for me to start to, you know, settle down and um, am I going to have a fam- family of my own soon? You know, what what does that look like? Um, so I took some time away, but what I also realized in, in, in that time away was, I found myself more drawn to learning even more and more about baseball, about coaching. Um, something that I, I didn't really have. Uh, I just kind of went with what I knew in that first go around in, in, in Kenny McMillan. And I realized, um, being a, stepping away from baseball, that I didn't know that much. <laughs> so um, I started to really hone in on different ideas and, and different thoughts and, and just thought, you know what? I, I still do have this passion for baseball. And it... Um, I was fortunate where I, I had a chance to come to come back to my high school alma mater at South Park um, in the which for the spring of 2011 was my my first year there, and I couldn't couldn't turn down that opportunity. It was also a chance to reunite with uh, with Steve Busey, who was again my high school coach and who I had coached with the Canada McMillan, and um, the South Park program at that time had kind of fallen into a state of disrepair. They hadn't been to a, a playoff game in a number of years, um, and the team was not coming off of a very successful. Um, uh, previous season, but um, you know, I said, "Hey, this is, a, this is a chance to kind of build something again." Um, it, you know, it's personal to me; it's my alma mater, and um, it, we're, we're really fortunate where the core of that team um, was. Uh, it was a young group. It was a group that we have a chance to be together with for a few years, and uh, incredibly blessed to be around some really, really talented players. Um, the, the guy who's, who's now ascended and probably gotten the most headlines, a, a guy who pitched for Minnesota Twins right now, uh, Randy Dobnak, who's done a fantastic job. He was a wonderful pitcher at Alderson Broadus here in West Virginia in his college years. Um, and, 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 you know, was undrafted coming out of college. He's worked his way through independent bowl and now, you know, now he's, uh, entering his, what will be his third season with Minnesota Twins. But we had other guys, uh, um, you know, Nick Yobi, well, was, was a fantastic player for us. At South Park, he played at USC Aiken. Um, we had a kid named Carter Grote who walked on at Furman and pretty much started for four years. So we, we had some talented guys. It was just a matter of providing that structure and, and allowing them to kind of find their, be- their best versions of themselves. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. 
The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And then at what point did you seriously consider that you wanted to jump into college baseball? Uh, well, uh, so um, I... When I got back into baseball, I had a chance to work some uh, different different camps, you know, throughout the summer. That just hey, we need a guy. Um, and, and and around that time, uh, Coastal Carolina was was doing some some satellite camps in the Western Pennsylvania area. And not, not that Coastal has ever talked to me about hiring me. I, that would be pretty that'd be pretty shocking. But um, just being around different college coaches that were working there and uh, had developed a few connections. And starting around, um, I want to say it was like. Uh, summer of 2012 started to have some inklings. Hey, if this is something you want to do, you might have an opportunity. Um, and at that time I said, you know, no, no, no. And finally, um, it was the uh, summer of 2014 and, um, Anthony Williams, who was the coach at Pitt Greensburg at that time and is now actually the head coach at Frostburg State in entering his second year at Frostburg State. Um, Anthony had called me kind of at the beginning of that summer and he said, Hey, we need a guy. Um, and, you know, I was non-committal at that point and, you know, we had had some discussions, but it just, I, I didn't think it was going to work out. And, um, finally he was get, getting ready to start his fall season in the fall of 2014, um, late August, early September, phone rings and it's him and he says, Hey, look, just come out for the fall. <laughs> and, you know, that was, a, that was, that was a, uh, at least, you know, a very persuasive move because I said, you know what? All right. I can commit to the fall. Um, that's pretty easy. And then, of course, I showed up for one workout and I was, I was hooked and I was ready to, ready to roll. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the backstory there is actually that he, uh, at, at that time at Pitt Greensburg, he had a number of players that I had known, some guys that I'd had a chance to coach in various capacities, but guys that I just knew from, you know, it, I mean, Pitt Greensburg pretty much at that time, a lot of Western PA guys and guys that I knew and was familiar with and had known for several years. And they're like, they had an opening on the staff, and I said, "Hey," they said to Anthony, I said, "Hey, you know, you got to you got to affect the Tim Miller, you got to affect the Tim Miller." And so, um, without those guys kind of pushing it as well, um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't have that opportunity. And you know, you look at the chain of events; I, I never would have ended up at Frostburg, never would have ended up at Franklin. I'd never be here at Davis Melkins now. So, I'm indebted to a lot of people, I guess, in this journey. <laughs> and I think that's a, a similar story that most people have. I mean, everybody. Everybody's indebted to somebody um, just for giving them a chance at some point along the way. I know that, um, you know, for me, my first coaching job was at Duquesne uh, with with Coach Mike Wilson, and you know, I I wasn't expecting it. I and I owe a, a very big debt of gratitude to him just for taking a chance on me. I, I know I've told this story on other podcasts, but I, I saw him in the locker room one day, like I was I was working out after I finished playing. I saw him in the locker room, which that was the first time. I had ever seen him in the locker room, so I feel like maybe there was there was a reason for that. You know, somebody orchestrated that. Uh, but I, the first time I ever saw him in the locker room, and I just kind of said, "Hey, uh, I, w- I think I'd like to get into coaching. You have any you have any ideas?" And, and I was thinking, like, you know, a, a summer travel team for like fi- like a fifteen u travel team. And he said, "Why don't you come help me?" I thought, "Holy cow, I'd, I could do that," you know. And then I and then several other jobs too, you know, other jobs I just look at and just kind of wonder like why they chose me and and you know I I made it a habit when I was leaving places just to thank whoever hired me and, and just kind of say like man I don't know why you took a chance on me but I'm really glad that you did and hopefully I I did what you thought I, I would do so uh, I think everybody's in that in that place and I love hearing the stories about what other guys have been through and and just the people that they kind of owe um, to so. 
you know, Tim, can I, if I can ask you now, as a as a Division two head coach, and this is going to be your first season as a Division two head coach, but what did that your your years of high school coaching? You know, what do you remember from that, and, and maybe any ways that that has shaped you as a head coach, and, and sort of your your style or your philosophy of coaching now? Do you still carry anything with you from those high school days? No question, and and um, I, I look at myself as incredibly fortunate, just be, because yeah, I've had a chance to work with a lot of guys that I think are Hall, hall of Fame types. <laughs> um, but speaking strictly to the high school, and we'll eventually, I'm sure, get to you know get more to the college, but. Um, you know, in high school, you're, you're given a roster. You don't get to select your, your, you know, your roster. It's whoever lives in the district goes to the school. Um, so it's about maximizing that roster, and um, that's the one thing I think that that has really stood with me throughout is is the idea that um, every team is unique. Even if you have the same guys back, um, they develop. Maybe they find that maybe something clicks, and they're a different type of player. Um, so every team, every team is unique, and, and what you do with one team, you might not do with the next. But also with the individual players, um, you know, I think embracing their differences is very important. So, you know, in high school, I might have something, whether it be from a pitching perspective, a hitting perspective, a defense perspective, whatever the case might be, I might have something that I believe in 100% mechanically. You should be doing it. You should move this way. But that movement might not be something that that player is comfortable with or even capable of doing. So I could sit there and talk blue in the face and force them to do it my way, and they don't have conviction, they don't have confidence in what they're doing, and then they can't execute. Or we could we could find something else that works because it is baseball, and there's a lot of different ways to play this game. So I think uh, that that's really the biggest thing for me from high school that I've, that I've carried forward all these years is um, – trying to embrace the individuality of the player and, and, and work around that framework. And I, and I feel confident in saying that guys that, that I've had a chance to coach, guys that I'm coaching now, uh, would say that, if anything, um, it's flexibility of approach. Um, and then, I guess, really, the the, off, the other part of that equation, and, we, and um, we've talked about this previously, uh, which is just the idea that that communication piece, how I talk to one player, that message might not get through to the next one. So you've got to be you've got to be able to balance that out and 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 still find a way to hey, how can I best communicate? Do I need to show this guy? Is this a guy who needs to see more things on video? Um, is this somebody I can just talk to and explain? And the way I explain it clicks. There's a there's there's always going to be those differences, but the but the end goal is we want to get the most productivity out of whatever it is we're talking about um, and 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 find the best solution. And that's a it's a hard balance. To figure that out, and sometimes it takes a while to figure out players and, and exactly how you need to communicate with them, and and what the best way is to get uh, to get a message across. Uh, you know, for you, just if you're talking with coaches who, uh, who who that's not a strength for, or that's a it's a it's a challenge to be that way with players. Like, what's your What's your strategy, I guess, for lack of a better term, which to, to figure to figure out like from player to player, what's the best way to communicate with with so and so? Are you asking them certain questions? Is it sort of like you just you, you kind of try to get to their personality a little bit, or maybe you like you talk to them one day and they don't it doesn't really seem to register. So tomorrow I'm going to try a different approach. Like, how do you go about just because you have a big roster? And you have a lot of new players every year, and and how do you just go about figuring out? Or like you take over a new program, you have you know a whole roster, thirty five, whatever you have, thirty thirty five guys, uh, new guys that you've got to learn now. How do you as a coach figure out how to communicate with each guy? Yeah, I, I, th- 
it's more than anything you, you've got to have those other conversations that don't involve baseball you have to you have to be who you are authentically so for me i'm interested in what our guys are doing in the classroom i'm interested in what are their career ambitions and things like that the more the more you can have that open dialogue i think that that allows everybody to let their hair down and then you can get to that those real honest discussions no coach ever wants to have a, a discussion hey this isn't working for you. <laughs> uh i wish it was a, you know all rainbows and sunshine every day you know every day and every every uh you know through every drill every swing every every ball we feel but it's not that's not realistic so i think first and foremost you, you got to have a continuous continuous dialogue with each player um and it, and it can't just be about baseball i mean it, it at least for me it's it's got to be about more because that that fits who i am and, and and my where my uh authentic interests are the second thing I would say um, is that you've got to be able to check your ego at the door. You know, uh, some coaches, I've got friends, you know, they, they coach and, and their biggest focus is they want to have their stamp on maybe it's hitting or pitching. You know, this guy's going to be, you know, a, a Tim Miller guy, you know. And I just don't think that that's, <laughs> that that's something that, that really needs to matter. Uh, if our guy's successful, I don't, I, you know, if they, if they hold the bat cross grip, um, and they can hit, you know, 400 and be an All-American. Why would I stand in the way of that? Just for my own ego. <laughs> and I think that that's an important distinction as well. Is that it, it's got to be um, if you're able to check that at the door and, and not really concern yourself too much with that, um, then that allows, I think, for that flexibility of approach, so that you, you can be open to um, different ways of doing things and embracing um, those differences uh, that that occur from player to player on your roster. I know that the head coaching, the college head coaching, is a new deal for you, but you know, in that sense, you you probably want to surround yourself with certain types of coaches, certain types of assistant coaches. In your mind, what makes a good assistant coach? Like what, you know, what about maybe you start with a resume uh, before you really get to know guys, or maybe there's guys that you've already, maybe the guys that you want to hire are, are people that you want to have familiarity with. So I guess let me just ask you the broad question: What to you are some boxes that guys need to check? Uh, to to have a chance to you know to be on your radar uh, whether get it, whether it's something you somebody you know previously or something on their resume what sort of things stand out for you uh, for an assistant coach uh, you know before making a hire when maybe sort of uh, narrowing down your the field of applicants well our, our current assistant uh, Tyler Basket I, I if he's not one of the best assistant coaches in the country then I don't then I don't know anything <laughs> at all and and, and you know, really, he's to me, he's a prototype of, of, of what I would be looking for in an assistant coach. Um, and we had a chance to work together the last uh, two years at Franklin College. Um, but it's it, it's a combination of things. One, you've got to really be a grinder. I mean, Jeff, you've been an assistant in college baseball. I know I have been. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of uh, uh, long nights, um, early mornings, and um, there's going to be a, certainly a, a lot of headaches that go in into the court any day, any week, any month, whatever time frame you want to look into. It. So you got you got to have a great work ethic, um, you know, to, to to be a strong assistant and, and and somebody you know me personally that I that I would be looking for as an assistant. The second component I would say is you've got to be you you've got to really commit to to learn to learning. Um, I'm yet to find the person that has all the answers, and you've got to at least be able to consider. Um, different schools of thought because just because we've done things one way for 10 years doesn't mean it's the best way to do it. Um, and I know for, for Tyler and myself, both being at Franklin College um, with uh, Lance Marshall as a head coach there, um, I, 
I could do a podcast just talking about how great Lance Marshall is. And I mean, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer in, in every metric for me. But the biggest thing with, with him is that he's constantly, even now, he's got 500 some wins. He's done just about everything you could do in college baseball. And he's constantly pushing that envelope. Um, you know, where, where he, you know, he wants to take in new information. He wants to learn things, um, himself. And then that, and, and that trickles down to the rest of, rest of his coaching staff. And, uh, you know, he's, we, anytime we'd have staff meetings, he would always kind of pose problems. And he'd say, Hey, it's not enough to point it out. You guys got to figure out a solution and, you know, force you into that. So I think having that, that, that idea that you're going to keep learning, you're going to, you're going to keep being able to read, you know, really not, I don't, I don't know if reinvent is the right word, but you, you're not afraid of embracing new ideas um, if they make logical sense. So it's really the work ethic and the learning. And I think I think that's a great starting point for any for any assistant coach. Um, and then the final thing I would say is that you know you're, <laughs> there's going to be you, you enter in as an assistant coach, you're, you're kind of low man on the totem pole. There's a lot of undesirable jobs that you're going to have to do. Um, you know, can you can you stay positive throughout that, or is that something that just yeah, I've seen coaches get eaten up by those menial tasks? Hey, you got to get out there, you got to lie in the field. Well, why, why don't we have a ground crew does that? Well, our school can't afford that, so here you go. You know, get used to handling a rake, those kinds of things. And the people that do that with with the the best energy and the best enthusiasm, I think, are the ones that um, you, you know are, are, are the guys that that we now hear about moving up the ladder. And, um, and finding their way into, you know, the adoration of, of, uh, uh, you know, of, of the rest of the coaching world. I mean, that's, that's everybody from, you know, your, your, your worst program in the country all the way on up to, you know, the Tim Corbins of the world at Vanderbilt. I mean, sometime he was carrying a rake. No doubt about that. And for me, I love that stuff. And I'll be, if I'm being really honest and transparent, that's, that's some of the stuff I miss the most. I miss being on a field and and raking it or like you know putting a fresh edge on a field like what's better than than like stringing up a field and putting a fresh edge on it and looking at it and be like god that looks freaking amazing or or whatever it may be just you know, having having an infield with like the right amount of moisture in it where ground balls are just you know they're like taking such true hops like that kind of stuff gave me a lot of pleasure as a coach and, and I, i've told my wife this before that there's um there's a, we live in a town where there's a double a team and I've, I've told her that if, if I can afford to do it at some point, or maybe when our kids move out of the house or, and I'm, and I've got more time in my hands or whatever, like I might, you know, offer my services there just for free, just volunteer to go over there and work if they'd let me work, like to have a chance to cut the grass again or, or just, or like drag a field. Like that sounds great to me. <laughs> I really miss oh, that kind of stuff. <laughs> absolutely. And that's one thing you, you gotta love. If you're in baseball, you gotta love those jobs. You gotta learn to embrace them. Now, for you, Tim, you, you kind of mentioned some some names there, and just some people that you that I you know you you look up to, or people that you've learned some things from. But I, I want to ask maybe a little more pointed question: just who are who have been some people who have really impacted your career in a positive way? And and it can be a coach, it could be somebody outside of baseball who just was an influence for you as far as work ethic or, or whatever. But who are some people that you've encountered through the years that have impacted you and have helped shape you to who you are? Well, I think you know, I, I think every stop for me in coaching, whether it be high school and college, has I, I, I just consider myself so fortunate. It's like I, you know, I've just uh, I've kind of had this uh, like Forrest Gump like existence where everything just works out for me in that mm. in that way. But um, starting in high school, and the Steve Busey who I played for and coached with, um, 
you know, I consider to be the ultimate player's coach. Not that he's uh, easy to play for. I mean, they, you know, he can be tough uh, when he needs to be, but somebody that, um, you know, just uh, you can't help but love. And uh, the way that he deals with players and the way that he deals with situations, um, you know, is a, just, I, I think, absolutely first rate. Um, but also watching his watching his mind work on game day and how he, you know, I always consider any team that he's playing, hey, it's like spotting that, that team a couple runs on game day because you know he's going to be able to find a way to shut something down that the opponent's doing or create something um, for his own offense. Um, you know, working for Anthony Williams at, at, at Pitt Greensburg, I mean, obviously I, I owe a lot to Anthony. Uh, he's a great friend. A now arrival at Frostburg, but um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll for the purposes of this podcast, we'll, we'll check the rivalry at the door. But <laughs> he um, he you know he's somebody who he gave me a chance in college baseball, and just um, being able to kind of have that introduction because for me it had been it had been years since I had had a chance to play college baseball. So um, getting used to the structure, getting used to the organization. Um, I think you know Anthony's a blue collar guy, likes to roll his sleeves up, get his hands dirty as much as any, you know as anybody. And, um, you know, watching him at Pitt Greensburg, which wasn't a super well-funded program, watching him extract every bit of value that he could and inject it in, or, you know, into that, into that program and then the results, um, you know, was, was, was really interesting. Uh, from there, having a chance to work for Guy Robertson at Frostburg State, um, I, somebody who, um, you know, I, I was coaching at Coastal Plain League in 2016 and, uh, phone, the phone rings randomly and, got, and he says, Hey, <laughs> got a job open. I know you didn't apply for it, but would love to have you on board. And I said, you know, uh, tell me about it. What, you know, what is this? And, um, just being around him and getting used to, getting used to kind of how he did things. Um, specifically on the recruiting trail with him, uh, I would always joke that I should just buy him a, a number 42 Yankees jersey because I consider him to be a great closer in recruiting. Just somebody who, who knew how to read the room. Um, but, but also tremendously honest in what he, in, you know, what players were going to, uh, get when they got to campus. And I think he cashed in on everything that he, that he said. He wasn't promising them, you know, pie in the sky kind of ideas. He was, he was sticking to, Hey, this is what, this is what, um, Prosper State can do for you baseball wise. This is what it can do for you school wise. And, um, and I, and I would say to a man that he, that he delivered on, on all of those promises. So, um, you know, just, just uh, again, somebody that uh, was tremendously beneficial to be around, around him every single day, pretty much for two years, and and pick his brains, and then and then most recently, you know, being at Franklin College with with uh, with Lance Marshall, um, that that's like getting a, a PhD in baseball. Uh, being with being with him, somebody who uh, is so well studied, so well prepared, um, just the just the preparation from from him, um, and, and and how he. And how he went about it again. Another guy who on game day, I promise you, whatever that final score is, um, you know, it's, it, he's added to that. <laughs> he's value added on game day. You're just not going to outfox him. But also uh, with Lance, the one thing that I that I really really loved is just how even killed he was on game days. Uh, um, you know, it, we could be, uh, uh, you know, uh, had a six-run lead or something like that. It's now the ninth inning. It's a one-run lead. There's nobody out. The opponent has bases loaded, and our, you know, our fate, <laughs> our fate is on the line. And and it looks like a certain doom. And I, I'll bet you his blood pressure is probably something that everybody would wish they would have. His pulse is there. He's not sweating. And that the confidence that that instilled in the players is just just wonderful. Um, but uh, I guess the final 
those men there, uh, what I really respect about all of them, and this applies to each one of them, is they are authentically themselves. They're not afraid to be who they are, and they're not just trying to show up. They're not worried about you know what what somebody in in the center field bleachers is saying. They're not they're not worried about you know hey what what might a a, a local newspaper say about the game afterwards. They're they're going with with who they are. They're trusting their preparation. They're trusting their players and they're trusting their staff to do their jobs. And I, and I, and I think that applies to all four of those men. That's not, again, something that's easy to do, uh, especially, you know, depending how much attention your team gets. I've been in towns where the team didn't seem to get much attention at all. I've been in other towns where it seemed like that's, that's what people were always talking about. And, um, and, uh, to, to, to be able to coach and and not have those voices in your ear is is uh, is a gift for sure. Um, I want to talk about recruiting a little bit, coach. With uh, you just you kind of brought that up um, at, at Frostburg and and just some things that you've learned through the years recruiting. And and I'd like to just ask you about recruiting in general, and uh, you know, not so much maybe physically what you look for with guys, but but maybe some things that help guys to stand out on the field for you. So if there's a high school player listening to this or a high school coach who's trying to encourage his players, um, you know, there are there are a lot of kids like so just if you start with the pool of all the kids that are available to recruit every in every year and every in every recruiting class there's a lot of them there's a lot of kids who have a lot of talent you know the 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 higher talent you talk about like you talked about Vanderbilt earlier there aren't that many guys in the country that are good enough to play for Vanderbilt but the further down you go the pool gets a little bit bigger about how many how many kids there are so these kids have to find a way to stand out some way or another if they're going to get recruited by a good quality program. For you, when you're going through the recruiting process, uh, in any part of the recruiting process, whether you're watching a kid, speaking with the kids, speaking with his parents, speaking with his coaches, what are some things that, that help someone to stand out from from the crowd from you? Because you might see two guys that are very similar talent level, uh, stuff-wise, um, you know, their measurables are pretty similar, but but somebody's got, you know, one of those guys is going to stand out a little bit one way or another or, or has a chance to. What are some things that you as a coach like to see or, or will help a player to stand out to you or when you're going out to recruit, maybe help put a little extra star next to his name? Like, I, I like that kid. I don't know, you know, I, I just something about him I like. Like, what are some things that you see that help you to, to make that uh, distinction? Yeah, and I, I, I would say it's, a, it's the it's the intangibles. Um, you know, a few years ago, I was out watching a uh, a summer game, and uh, you know, for instance, there's a kid in right field. Um, I hadn't noticed him at all. He was nondescript at, at the plate. I think he walked on maybe four or five pitches, didn't swing the bat, hadn't gotten a ball yet in right field. But uh, there was a play where. Um, uh, he ended up sprinting in from right field and backing up third base. And it was a weird play, and I can't remember exactly all the particulars of how that ended up. And I remember watching that, and I said, huh, that kid, that kid was exactly where he needed to be. And there, of course, there was an overthrow, and he prevented a run from scoring. So now, then I, you know, I, I thought, hmm, let's see this kid next time he comes around in the, in the batter's box. Well, that next at bat, he got a chance to swing a little bit. And thought, okay, here's, here's a guy that, um, you know, might be able to do some things in the baseball player, but he's, you know, clearly he's, he's at least well taught or thinking about the game, um, you know, in, in, in those, in those ways that don't necessarily show up in the box score. Um, get to know the kid and, um, you know, talk to, talk to some of the, the, you know, the people that are closest with him as high school coach, so on and so forth. Find out that this kid, um, 
you know, eats, sleeps, drinks baseball. You know, he can't get enough of it. They, they kind of have to turn the lights out to let him know it's time to leave the faci- their indoor facility at, at night. And, um, the, you know, so, so you look at it and you say, hey, here's a guy who's a, what I would say is a baseball player. He gets the flow of the game and he's got the work ethic to match. Um, so really those are, those, those two intangibles, um, I, I think are, are so critical. I think they allow players that maybe give up a little bit in terms of some of the measurables. So, you know, what's the difference between that kid that has a 95 mile an hour exit velocity off the tee and the kid who's 87 off the tee? Well, if the 87 kids is significant, just understands how to play baseball, um, you know, he's got a high baseball IQ, that, that kid can outperform the, the, um, a kid that has a higher exit velocity or, you know, maybe kids a seven two sixty runner as opposed to a six six. There's plenty of good six six runners. There's plenty of good seven two runners, and I'd say there's plenty of subpar in both of those categories as well. So, um, to me, it's the, the, the intangible. Can do you have a feel for the baseball game? Can you make baseball plays? You know, is that is this a guy who really understands? Hey, how to get a, a, a dirt ball read? Is this somebody who can take that instruction? Um, and then is this somebody who has the work ethic to um, you know to go after it? I mean, we talk with our guys here at Davis and Oaks all the time. Um, everybody has their time slot now for practice in anticipation of the season, whether that's an indoor time or an outdoor time. Um, so how are you really, how are you really be, becoming a better ball player? How are you distancing yourself versus players that you're better than already? And how are you catching up on players that are better than you? You gotta find 10 minutes. You gotta find 20 minutes to do more targeted reps, you know, maybe throughout the day. So when we have open periods throughout the day, um, you know, the expectations is for our guys, it's not mandatory, but it, it's, hey, if you have the ability to, to get out, at least get a couple of those sessions in a week, um, so that you can, so that you can continue, um, to develop, continue to build as a baseball player. And, and that's something that, uh, absolutely, you know, on the recruiting trail, you're looking for, um, those recommendations. Hey, this kid has an elite work ethic. Um, because, uh, I'm sure you, you, I'm sure this is striking a chord with you and from, from your college days. A really high-end player, talent-wise, with no work ethic, is probably not worth uh, worth your time and investment. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles; we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yes, I found it out the hard way several times, just feeling like as a coach, like I can bring this guy in and I can help him to be what I want him to be or help him to work a little harder. Or like a coach would say, like, you know, he he's been he he's you know, he's been lazy in the past, but he's really been working hard in the last couple months. And I think he really has figured it out. And then I've signed that guy, and he goes right back to being the guy that he was before. And um, it's 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 like you know, guy, I don't know. Some guys they do it just long enough to get themselves a scholarship offer, and then they shut it down. Um, but for you, uh, is it is it more difficult for you, Coach Miller? To uh, I know you've coached both pitchers and hitters. Is it more difficult for you to, to recruit pitchers or hitters? Well, I, I think it's I think it's equally challenging uh, uh for for both um and, and this this transcends you know institution i guess uh 
I mean, every every school has pros and cons. Uh, where I'm at now, Davis and Elkins, you look around, there's mountains out here. So naturally, we're going to have some snow. We're going to have some colder days. This environment isn't for everybody. <laughs> as much as I, I wish it was, say it's a one-stop shop for everybody, it's not for everybody. Um, so it's it's more about trying to identify those guys that, you know, the, I, I consider myself a blue-collar guy. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to roll my sleeves up. I'm not afraid to get to work. And, and those types of players are the ones we're looking for. Um, you know, whether that be a hitter, a pitcher, etc. Um, but I, I think I think anymore um, the 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 thing that the, the thing that I run into the most is is you get people who are maybe um, just getting dragged along in uh, in schools recruiting processes, meaning they're keeping enough tabs on them, but they don't really have serious interest for them. They're kind of a backup plan. Um, and, you know, identifying serious interest versus not so serious interest. Um, there are some schools that will recruit entirely off of measurables. Uh, me, I like to see guys in person. Um, you know, it, it, COVID's changed, changed that a little bit. It's made it a little more difficult um, to do. But, you know, you might get somebody who, said, who on, you know, a recruiting site, uh, oh, you know, this guy's 87 to 89 right-handed pitcher. Um, so now you get a bunch of schools that are contacting them, but they don't really have a plan for that person. They don't really have an interest. So I think that, um, it, you know, it's about really finding the, the guys that, that fit the program um, and, and understanding that there's there's probably now more opportunities to be seen and more interest in most every player than there's ever been before just because of the, the ways that people can interact with those recruits. There's so much to the recruiting and – and you know, I mean, probably just like anything else, any other job out there, I guess there's there are a lot of good recruiters out there, and and there's just something that separates, you know, the the good recruiters from the really good, from from the exceptional recruiters. And you look at some of these programs at any level; it doesn't matter if it's if it's teams you're seeing on TV or not, but the teams that just win every year consistently. You know, the coaches out there who win every year consistently just have a little bit of a different way of doing things. Um, when you're recruiting hitters, Coach Miller, for me personally, it was it was even though I, as a hitting coach and in a background as a hitter, it was easier for me to recruit pitchers uh, than it was for hitters because with hitters, I felt like you could get fooled more often than not because you might you might really like a guy's tools, you like you like his swing, you like his bat speed, he looks athletic, but you see him a couple times and he doesn't really hit, and you're wondering if. He just flat out can't hit, no matter how good of a of an athlete he is. Or you see another guy a couple times, and he just has a couple of good games where, you know, he does barrel some balls, and, and maybe the swing's kind of ugly, but he just barrels the ball up. And as a, as a hitting coach, you're like, well, like you said earlier, I don't care how he how it looks as long as he can barrel the ball. But then sometimes you get those guys, and, and they just don't end up being what you see from them. How do you? Uh, whether it's it's you recruiting or whether you're talking with other other coaches on your staff, how do you uh, go about? Just figuring out whether a hitter, like who a hitter really is, because again, small sample size. Anybody can heat up or cool down for small sample sizes. How do you really try to find out who this guy is when you really dig down? Well, I, I, you know, certainly, uh, uh, think that the, the 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 thing that we try to identify when we look at any hitter is figuring out what their approach is. So um, th- that's something I think that that doesn't get talked about enough is the hitting approach. Um, it's not, you know, it's not sexy enough. It's not going to sell any books or subscriptions. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that um, it's incredibly important. But 
how do you quantify it, right? So if we're looking at a kid um, and we're evaluating a hitter, whether it be a high school kid, junior college kid, what have you, um, let's say let's say he's in a situation where you know he it's two zero, nobody's on base, you know, and he's swinging at a pitch that's six inches off the plate. Well, I would say his approach is subpar, <laughs> or, or either that, or he didn't, or he's really bad at recognizing pitches. Um, <laughs> Both of them are pretty bad. Both of those yeah, things are bad. Uh, <laughs> run, runner at third, less than two outs. The infield's up, so he's got to get something in the air. What types of pitches is he swinging at? Is he swinging at that pitch that's kind of mid-shin that he's likely to hit on the ground? Or is he forcing that pitcher, at least at least when he has control of the count, to kind of elevate the ball and make his job easier to get that runner home from third? So, um, you know, when we go out, we have a we have a template, and I, you know, I'm happy to share this. I don't have any secrets here. We have a template that we look at, and we've got all different kinds of situations already mapped out. So if we see a guy in a situation, we find that box, and, hey, did they execute or did they not execute? Um, because you might have a guy whose his numbers look fantastic, but he's piling those up in uh, tilted games and in the late innings. He's you know that's when, that's when he does his most damage as opposed to when it's really a, a big situation or early in the game, um, and, and, and they're facing that you know, elite pitcher. How do they handle that? So um, that's something that we, you know, we try to evaluate. It's, it's, not, um, it's not a perfect science. It's certainly subjective to our own uh, eyes and our own minds. But it gives us a chance to kind of rank and file different hitters that we would, that we would evaluate. Um, I, the, the, now, from the easier-to-measure kind of category, Love line drives. Um, they did a study in uh, Division One baseball. I think this was two years ago. It might be, might be three years ago now. Um, and they they looked at all the ground balls that were hit. They looked at all the fly balls that were hit. And they looked at all the line drives were hit. And this was using the uh, the TrackMan data at the stadiums that have it. And they found that twenty percent of ground balls in that season went for hits. Twenty four percent of fly balls and sixty eight percent of line drives. So naturally, we're looking for guys who can hit line drives consistently. We're also looking to train that way when they get here. I love that, and I think that's something that more people need to hear. I know we got to wrap this up, Coach, but I have one more just quick question for you that, sure. just about one of the things that you just brought up um, with approach. So, you, for example, if you're going out to recruit and, and you're interested in this hitter and there's a man on third less than two outs and it's a situation where that run at third is pretty important and he needs to be brought home um, – you know, my perception, and again, I haven't coached uh, college ball for a while. I, I I only coached high school for a little bit, never coached you know travel ball, especially. Uh, but in travel ball, it seems like <clears throat> players are not encouraged to look at that situation and think that I've got to find a way to get this guy in. They're just encouraged to try to swing as hard as they can and hit the ball as hard as they can, and and try to showcase themselves as opposed to just playing the game and trying to win the game. Um, do you do you factor that in when you're going out, or basically, if a guy, you know, does, regardless of why a hitter doesn't have that approach, if he doesn't recognize that situation and have the approach, you are turned off by it, or do you look at it like, you know what, it is travel ball, and he probably his coaches probably aren't encouraging him to do that, so I'll just teach him that. We'll just teach him that when he gets here, and he'll figure it out then. Like how how what do you uh, how do you approach that situation and just in, in trying to evaluate that particular type of skill. Yes, I certainly have seen those the, the same things that you're talking about, whether that be in a uh, in, in a summer travel session, as well as even junior college baseball. You know, everybody wants to put up numbers. It's probably the easiest way to get to get um, recognized, right? <laughs> and you know that that ground out to second base at the infield back, yeah, it drives in a run, but um, RBI totals are, are maybe not something that that always uh, um, catch attention. So, um, you know, for, for 
for our purposes, if we see it, it's a guy that we still like. Um, it's a, it's a discussion point. You know, hey, take me through that at bat. You know, you had runner at third, less than two outs. It was the fourth inning. Um, uh, failed to execute to get him in. What were you, what were you thinking? And then start the discussion from there. So there are guys that we're recruiting that, you know, haven't signed here. Um, you know, that are still active recruits or have chosen to go to other institutions. And we've had those discussions with those guys. Um, I think that's important, you know, to, uh, to not be afraid to bring up those, those, um, subjects because, you know, really the, the execution, it's a, it's a desire of the, of the player. Um, hey, what is my approach going to be? They, they can control that. There's so many things that they can't control, but they can control their thought process and, and essentially what they're looking for in a, in a given a bat. Now they might not get a pitch that allows them to satisfy a condition. Um, so, you know, that, that has to be taken into account as well. But more than anything, it's, it's, um, so critical for those, for those guys to, um, to at least be able to show that they can think through those situations. Cause if they have never thought about it in their entire career and then they come to college baseball at any level, that's going to probably be, uh, lead to a lot of frustration for that player. And it's going to, and it's going to make their job as far as, um, ultimately getting comfortable and having conviction in what they're doing. It's going to make it harder and harder. Uh, so that, so that's definitely something that we, um, that we take into account, but it's something that it really starts with just having that dialogue. Hey, take me through that at bat. And in, in, in my experience, the best hitters, they want to talk about hitting. They, they love talking about hitting. So whether it's a situation, whether it's a, a certain pitch that they were looking for a spot, um, and, and just watching those guys open up and it can be a really, uh, it, it can lead to a really productive, uh, dialogue. And I think that helps building that relationship as well when you talk about, um, the recruiting uh, side of things and then uh, giving them a preview of hey, what to expect when they when they would get in this case here at Davis and Elkins um, or to you know any institution uh, thereafter. This is really great stuff. This is Tim Miller, everybody. He's the head coach at Davis and Elkins College. This will be his first spring in 2021 uh, at Davis and Elkins. Davis and Elkins is Division Two in West Virginia. Coach Miller, I sincerely appreciate the time. You're a guy that uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation with someone who's clearly.